encounters with the Father's love. I think God, you know, I thought, yes, listening to the worship and what um, David was bringing, I think, yeah, God's got one theme, really, for this morning. Um, I thought I'd give you a little um, sort of... um, Heads up on what's, what's, what I'm hoping will happen uh, this morning. Because I know that sometimes, I know from um, having children, that if you actually um, sort of prepared them for what might be happening, you were far more likely to have a positive response than if you suddenly threw them in at the deep end. So the first bit actually, hopefully, should happen any time that anyone is preaching. So let the Holy don't just go into, oh, I'm just in, you know, this is where I can relax and start thinking about dinner kind of mode. Um, you know, let the Holy Spirit touch your mind, heart, spirit, emotions, and imagination. Keep in receiving mode from the Holy Spirit. Just as we read, we're going to read out some glorious passages, uh, you know, declarations that God makes. And, and just let them really minister to your heart. Um, hopefully I'm going to finish fairly promptly um, and, and then we'll have time where I'll put some music on. You'll have an opportunity to encounter God um, um, for yourself. And then we're going to have a time of celebration because you'll see how that fits in um, with the, the theme of, of the passages. So Luke 15, just um, to set the scene. So, so here is... Luke chooses to set the scene. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. So this was sort of like a collective um, term for the rabble, really, the unrighteous rabble. Those who weren't particularly, you know, sort of dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's according to the law. And were probably, you know, sort of fairly immoral lot. So the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So you have this two, almost these two responses shown right from the beginning. You have the, the unrighteous, supposedly, gathering round to hear Jesus. And you have the ones who would count themselves as righteous, standing aside and muttering. And into that context, Jesus tells a story, tells a parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. I'm actually just going to then put in, uh, swap to um, a passage, another passage that mentions shepherds in the Bible. Now, you probably are quite familiar with some of the, you know, the idea of, of God. As the, so the God figure in this um, parable is the shepherd. And you probably would think of something like um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Or maybe you know the Isaiah 40 passage where it says that God is the shepherd and how he leads those um, who have young. He gently leads those who have young and he carries the, uh, the lambs close to his heart. But there's another passage 
which the Pharisees and the, the sort of priests would have known, and they would have known it well. And this is Ezekiel 34, and um, it's quite a long passage, so I am giving you the abridged version. Um, but do, you know, if you want to go and read the full thing, read it at home. So you imagine Jesus tells that first story about, of course, you know, the, uh, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Really, he's saying, of course he does. Of course you would. Of course you would. But this is what it says in Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. So imagine, you're the Pharisees, you've been standing there muttering, you know, why are the rabble coming near? You know, we're the righteous ones. Who are they thinking about? You have not strengthened the weak or healed those who are ill or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flocks so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue, then then God goes on and says what he will do. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no, and it will no longer be food for them. So in that passage, the, the Levites then had been, you know, they actually got to eat, um, some of the offerings. And as the people were bringing offerings, they were living off the fat of the people, as it were, but not actually caring for the people. And then in the Ezekiel passage, God goes on and says, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. What an amazing thing, isn't it? I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. What an amazing passage. You know, when you read that, you just think that's God's heart and and. The Pharisees would have known that. They would have, you know, they would have known that as they told this, as Jesus is telling this story, he's really revealing not only the Father's heart, but their hearts as well. That God's heart is to tend, God's heart is for searching. God's heart is for tending. It is for bringing back the strays. There they were, the, 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 the non-righteous you know, tax collectors, you know, prostitutes, thieves probably, you know, just people not living really according to, to God's ways. And yet they were crowding in to see Jesus. So Jesus says, uses this rhetorical question, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Of course, he's saying, of course, the father wants to, leave, you know, wants to find each one. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. I love this. You know, the, the whole idea, I mean, 
Personally, I don't actually think that sheep are the most attractive of animals. They've usually got all kinds of stuff stuck in their fleeces and, you know, they're not the most, you know, they haven't, don't seem to have the most high levels of personal hygiene. Um, you know, and yet this shepherd joyfully puts this sheep around his shoulders and that elevation already, that elevated position, that position of closeness is there. Um, and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. God's heart is for this reconciliation, of, or this restoration or reconciliation of relationship. His heart is for closeness, for restoration of relationship, wherever we are in our, in our uh, walk with God. And, and I just love this, you know, the lost has been found, my lost sheep. I tell you, so rejoice with me. The actual Pharisees, they had had plenty of opportunities to rejoice with Jesus and had chosen not to take it. Luke 11, um, there was a man who couldn't speak and he was delivered of a demon. And um, the crowd were amazed. So, you know, the, the, the general punters were amazed And then it actually says, but some, it doesn't say that were specifically the Pharisees in that case, but it says some then said, oh, he casts out demons because he, you know, he's the king of the demons kind of thing, uh, you know, by the power of, by demonic power. That they had, people had opportunity to, to rejoice. Luke 13, there's a woman crippled. She's actually bent double and has been for years. And Jesus heals her on a Sabbath. And the response of the, of the, um, uh, religious leaders of the day was, aren't there six days to work? Why are you working on a Sabbath? And Jesus actually challenges them and says, I can't remember which animal he uses, either a ox or something, that, uh, you know, wouldn't you look after your animals on a Sabbath? And yet when I look after, you know, a human being on the Sabbath, when I care for this, you, you think it's work. Um, and then there's another opportunity in Luke 14, again, um, you know, I think, did Jesus just purposely do this? Um, this? He's actually at the house of a Pharisee on a Sabbath day. And there's a guy with abnormal swelling. You know, he's had got something really wrong with him. And Jesus heals him. And yet before, um, let me just find that bit. Before they, they can say anything. Um, So there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Well, they didn't actually manage to mutter on that occasion, but they certainly didn't join in and celebrate. And I actually think, I just, when I read these passages, it really sort of took me to another level of understanding. You know, I know that we've, I've always said there was a party, you know, there's a party in heaven and the angels. I've always pictured the angels partying. And I just saw that, the, you know, this is our opportunity, not just to join in with angels, but to join in with the Father, Holy Spirit and Jesus as they absolutely uh, they celebrate. God wants us to join in his celebration. So there's a mate that we're going to read through three um, parables. 
the three main themes, the main themes of the three parables are there's something lost or not in relationship. There's something that's distant. And then you have the search. You have the search. You have that God searches for us. Um, and then the restoration, the bringing back close. The joy, the joy of the Father, the joy of, of um, the Godhead. And then this invitation, celebrate with me. So, going on to the next one, the next parable that um, Luke chooses to put in this passage. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And I thought, well, who's in the presence of the angels? Well, there's probably a whole load of redeemed people. But there's God. There's the Godhead, aren't there? (laughs) Sort of dancing and celebrating in front of the angels. It's not just we praise God. I do praise God for healings. I do praise God when people get... um, you know, come back or come into full relationship with him. But actually, I'm actually celebrating with him. The search. So oh, actually just interesting in this bit. Who's the God figure? The woman. Quite radical. Jesus was quite radical here. This would have been quite offensive to, um, to you know, probably the leaders of the day. That he used the, the, a woman as a God figure here. Um, what does she do or what does God do here? She searches carefully. You know, it's not just sort of some casual um, search. Lights a lamp, sweeps the house. You can imagine her getting down on her hands and knees, you know, looking under, under things. You know, God's, not, God's not afraid to you know, get down on his hands and knees and search to come for us. I just think, you know, looking back at my own testimony, I was brought up in a home where um, relationship with God was not really, was not talked about. Um, and uh, <clears throat> very, no teaching, no biblical te- no, no teaching um, about God or Jesus. And um, when I was six, um, my dad was in the army and he, he was um, um, commanding officer of a, of a, um, what would you call a recovery workshop? Basically, you know, we were out in Libya, and his, he, he was in charge of dragging tents out of the desert and you know, mending them and uh, tents, tanks out of the desert, <laughs> tanks out of the desert, mending them, you know, getting them going. All these big vehicles and, and lots of things. Anyway, we used to have these young privates in in, you know, in the uh, working in the workshop, and. Um, probably wouldn't do this now but this, these young privates used to come and babysit for me and my sister and then my sister went off to boarding school me on my own and one of these young guys came and babysat for me and he taught me a sung prayer god sent someone to search me out it was actually a really religious if you this i can still remember it so we're now talking 40 uh, well 50 years later i can remember that prayer at the end of the day, I kneel and pray. Thank you, Lord, for my work and play. I try to be good, for I know that I should. That's my prayer, Lord, for the end of the day. It's a pretty religious prayer, 
But what that young guy didn't know was that probably for the next three years, on, you know, on, on the majority of nights, I actually prayed that prayer because it was the only way that I knew. I had the sort of desire to, co- to be in contact with God, but that was the only way I knew. So if you, th- and then, well, I was probably 10, um, and in school, the army padre used to come in, and he shared a, a, um, a story. Again, so, you know, 46 years later, I can remember this story. But again, very religious sitting, setting for our, from our purpose. I think it's really, you know, the idea of church and the altar being at the front. And the, you know, he, so he shared, you know, the fingers were having an argument. The thumb said, I'm the most important, because when you pick something up, you know, it's four to one. And this finger said, I point. And the, the middle finger said, I'm the tallest. And this finger said, I wear the ring. And this finger, the little finger said, I'm the most important because I'm nearest to God when you pray. Now, somehow, out of that story, God got the message through to me that it's important to be near God. And he planted that seed. God searched me out. And, and again, I was at boarding school and um, most of the, it was pretty new age, to be honest, um, the, the sort of teachings you know, on our assemblies and things. And um, but I had a form teacher who was also my English teacher. And she said, you're like ghost stories, you know, because you know, a lot of the teen books are about, you know, these kind of things. All like ghost stories. I'm going to tell you the best ghost story ever. And she did a week of um, assemblies on the Holy Spirit. Um, so, you know, so God seeks you out. God really seeks you out. And, and even if you are a Christian and yet you've let um, sin um, or, or just the cares of life make you feel distant from God, God's still seeking you out. There's, um, I was in, heard this quote, man's greatest need is not the forgiveness of sin. It is the restoration of relationship. Now think about that one, because I always used to, you know, the way we used to, or some of the ways we used to preach the gospel was, you know, to try to get over to people that they're a sinner and they're separated from God. Well, most people actually know that anyway. And then we'd get on to, but the good news is you can be forgiven. But Jesus didn't come just so that we could be technically forgiven. He did come. We need to, he came, so his actual goal was so that there could be a restoration of relationship with, with, you know, the Father, with the Godhead. Jesus, you know, it was necessary. He did absolutely everything to make that possible. So, you know, that he died to take the punishment for our sin so that we can be forgiven so that we can be restored to the fullness of a relationship with this Father who is seeking us out. So on to the next one. Oh dear, going to do very quickly on this one. Um, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. So probably, according to the custom of the day, he got a third of the of the estate there and then. He was the younger son and the older son probably would have got two thirds of the estate. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, 
set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So there is distant country in those days. A, it shows that he's gone a long way from God. But also, it actually, you know, there is a complete breakdown of relationship. There were no emails. You know, they, they probably couldn't even write in those days. There would have been no, this loss of relationship between the father and the son. Um, and squandered his wealth in wild living. It's not even like he made a bad, you know, investment on the stock exchange. No, he actually, you know, parted or, you know, the, the older brother said he used it on prostitutes. So this guy was, you know, he, 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 he actually squandered, really wasted his inheritance. Um, and he spent every... Oh, wait, wait, wait. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine. So then you get a natural disaster added to the, to the mix in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, feed, to his fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with, pods that, with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So there is this Jewish boy reduced in a foreign country amongst, you know, with the uncleanest of animals actually longing for their food. Then he comes, you know, he suddenly thinks, oh my word, you know, this, this is, just can't carry on. He comes to his senses. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here am I starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. None of us is worthy to be called God's son. Whether we're, you know, whatever, whatever our background, none of us were worthy. But God has made us worthy. He gets ready. He has this change of heart, but he doesn't actually believe. You know, he thinks, I'll go back. But he never thinks he could go back as a son. He thinks he's going to sort of, you know, beg and grovel his way in and then maybe be in some outhouse, you know, with the servants. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. You know, we sang that song. I can run into your arms and we all and it is it, it, it generates emotion in you. But this is the opposite. This is you standing still or just walking along the road and being bowled over by the father as he is charging towards you. This is, you know, this is the the love of the father. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. You know, you could say, oh, here, the father wasn't searching, but he must have been looking He must have been, you know, you think, we can imagine him getting up every day thinking, this is the day that my son will come home. And then the next day, this is the day that my son will come home. And then the next day, this is the day that my son will come home, looking down the road. That's the father's heart is for the restoration of relationship. And just the spontaneity of this. Him the inst, you know, it was instantaneous. The father recognizes his son from some distance and sets off at a run. There's no, you know, there's no sort of, oh, do they deserve it? You know, do they want? It's just, 
that's the one. That's my son. And the father runs. The son said to him, so he's practiced his speech and he's going to say it. You know, he's practiced his speech. He's going to say it. The son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The, the, the son did recognize what he'd done wrong. And he came back to the father and, and said, I've done wrong. And he thinks that because he's done wrong, he's going to be this servant. But the father isn't looking for a servant. The father doesn't want a a relationship with a servant. He's looking for the restoration of the relationship with his son. And the father welcomes him back. As the son turns and comes back to the father, the father has run and welcomed him back. He says, and he says to his servants, quick, bring, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Now, these are all signs of sonship. These are all signs of, yes, you're not coming back as a servant. The robe, the, the, the ring was a symbol of authority. Um, so the sandals, servants didn't wear shoes in those days the sandals this was you're a full son this is you know you have resources um and and then the the feasting the celebration bring the fattened calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is um and is found so they began to celebrate So that's the heart of the father. But there was actually two sons in this passage. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. This elder son did not understand the heart of the father. In actual fact, the younger son had a far greater understanding of the love of the father than the older son. The father's heart wasn't that the the elder son had, had slaved for him. That was his attitude. You've never given me even a young, young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he couldn't even, call, you know, he couldn't even refer to him by name or his brother. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And then the father says, my son. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. That was the father's heart all along. When the young son had been given his inheritance, it said the father divided the inheritance. This, the second son had the inheritance all along. We must know that we have our inheritance. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
This almost refers to the bit when it, in the first passage where it says um, at the end of the Good Shepherd bit that, you know, that, that God rejoices more over one lost sheep than the 99 who don't need to repent. That probably is irony. You know, it's difficult to tell irony because it's all on the tone of the voice. But, um, but you know, God's not, he's not saying, oh, you know, righteous people I don't care for, you know, sinners I do. He's saying, you know, you actually think that you, you're, you're self-righteous. You're depending on what you do with the law to make you righteous. And, you know, so, so actually the, when, when people come to me in true relationship, that's when I celebrate. And this elder son, he was being, he'd been, he'd, he'd, he was um, relying on what he'd done, on his works. You know, he was going to slave. You know, he was going to do this. He was going to do it. And that was the attitude of the older son. And God's saying, no, don't depend on your own righteousness. Depend on mine. Don't depend on your own righteousness. Depend on mine. Rejoice with me. So, I thought it would be really good to give us opportunity to actually just spend some time. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Apparently, if I press... Aha, it worked. Um, I'm going to put some music on. It's classical music. It's actually called... The first bit is actually called Returning Home, which is rather appropriate. Um, and, And... Whether you have never, maybe you have never ever given, you know, said to the father, father, I actually want a relationship with you. You know, I'm beginning to see that, that the, what the Bible says, you are as good as you say you are. What these people are saying around me, um, you know, I, I want what they've got. I want to come into a relationship with you. Take this opportunity to say, father, I want to come into a relationship with you. I want to learn to live what it's like to live in relationship with you and if god prompts you to you know that you think oh you know brings anything to mind that you want to say sorry for do it but it's not like you have to think of all the bad things you've ever done don't go down that route just come and say father i actually do want that relationship with you it may be that because of you know life's cares or or just something you know or or sin that you're feeling distant from god Come back. Say, yeah, God, I'm sorry. I've been foolish. I just want to come back. And God is running towards you. He is already running towards you. And if you're not in those two categories and you think, yeah, I'm enjoying my life with God, just let God give you a hug. Let him speak to you. You know, don't be afraid of using your imagination. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And then I'm going to put up the next bit, which shows, you know, you can imagine God putting that robe around your, your shoulders and the ring on your finger and, and um, yes, uh, the sandals on your feet and celebrating.